Well, it's that time of the year again that in the spirit of optimism, we make great promises to ourselves, don't we? Great promises that things that are going to change or things we're going to do in the new year. Why do we make New Year's resolutions? We make New Year's resolutions because there are areas in our life that we are either unhappy with or areas in our life that we want to improve. So at the start of a new year, many of us are starting anew to make changes in certain areas of our lives. The number one usually is the waistline. Other areas could include finances. Other areas could include how do we spend our time. At the beginning of a new year, I often reflect upon the previous year. And as I started to reflect upon the previous year, the words of Solomon from Ecclesiastes 7-8 came to my mind where he said this, the end of a matter is better than its beginning. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. In other words, I'm not sad to see 2019 pass. Let me just say it was a challenging year. It was one of those years that brought some hardships a year that was not one of those top 10 years. In fact, when 2020 came, I was like, see you later. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking that actually the proper translation of what Solomon is really saying has to deal with the pastor's sermons. You just love it when the plane lands. Well, in the spirit of optimism, I would like to think that 2020 is going to be totally different than 2019. In fact, in the words of Pastor Matt last week, did an awesome job, didn't he? I have to be careful that my preference doesn't become God's promise. My preference is this. My preference is because 2019 was so challenging, I just know that 2020, God has promised it to be a lot better. But did God really promise? My preference is that will be better. And we have to be careful that we don't make our personal preferences into God's promises. Otherwise, we could get in a lot of trouble. I found some statistics kind of interesting about 2020. In 1948, a think tank was established called the RAND, the Research and Development. And it was a think tank that had a lot of uh, 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 influence upon the space program, the development of the internet, and uh, as, as this corporation went on, in 1994, listen to what they predicted about 2020. The RAND panel mentioned that by the year 2020, 
It may be possible to breed intelligent species of animals, such as apes, that will be capable of performing manual labor. The study went on to say this. In the 21st century, houses that don't have robots in their closet will probably have a live-in ape that will do household chores and gardenings and will even perhaps be the family chauffeur which will cut down on accidents. Little did they know we would have cars by 2020 that drive themselves. Here I thought this was pretty interesting. From 1951, popular mechanics said every family in the 21st century will have at least one helicopter in the garage. We have drones, not helicopters. And in 1939, the editor of British Vogue, Gilbert Rode, was asked, what do you think the style will be in the 21st century. Gilbert Rode said this, that men in 2020 will revolt from shaving. Think about that. What's, what's vogue today? Big long beards. He also said their hats would have an antenna snatching radio out of the ether. Their socks would be disposable. His suit minus tie collars and buttons. My goodness, he just described the hipster, didn't he? Minus the antenna, but little did he know they would have glasses that would connect them to the internet and give them the internet right on their lenses. Well, it's with much anticipation we look forward, I look forward, to a new year. And we make our dreams, we have our goals, we have our plans, and, and we like to think that all of them will be fulfilled, but who really knows? Do you? As I was thinking about what does the future hold, do you know what I find so amazing yet so frustrating? I remember it being 26 years old, 1998, 26 years old, watching Halley's Comet pass by. Remember Halley's Comet? And they predicted that it won't pass by until another 75 years in 2061. If I live to be 101, I'll see Halley's Comet for tw two times. And isn't it amazing how science can predict what a comet will do. But who knows what tomorrow holds for us. I would like to be able to tell you that this decade, that the year 2020 will be the best and greatest year of your life. But also know there are no guarantees. And with that in mind, 
and hoping that 2020 would be better than 2019. I said, Lord, I don't want my preference made into your promise, but I need a word from you. How many know that every once in a while we need a word from God? And as this old year passed and the new year was coming in, this is what the Lord gave to me that I want to share with you in a message entitled, Rooted. The scripture verse that God gave to me is Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 and 8. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? Can we read this together? But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves will always be green. It has no worries in a year of drought. It never fails to bear fruit. You may be seated. I am a visual learner. I am one who thinks in pictures. And as I was reading this, I just became overwhelmed by a tree. A vibrant, strong, living tree planted by water and its roots went deep out into the stream where it got its nutrients and no matter if how hot it got no matter if it was a drought condition because its roots went deep and went to the source of nutrients it was always alive and vibrant. And all of a sudden, I felt like the Lord saying to me, it doesn't matter what 2020 brings. As long as your roots are found in me, you will always prosper. Now, how many know with every promise, there are always conditions? There are conditions that we have to fulfill in order to meet the promise. What are we always about? We always want to know the promise. We always want the gratification. We don't want the qualifications. We want the gratifications. We want the promise. So let me start with the promise. What is God promising? God is promising that you can be like a tree. That when, you, when the heat comes, you will not be afraid. It does not fear, please note, it says when, not if. But when the heat comes. How many know that in life there are trials, there are difficulties, there are hardships. Heat also purifies. But God promises that when these trials come, doesn't James say this? Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kind. When the trials, when the heat comes, 
When the difficulty arrives, as we've been talking about, whether it be a, 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 a valley, a wilderness, a storm, or a desert, you will not be afraid. Your leaves will not wither, but will be green. Wow. A tree with leaves. Do you know what a tree with leaves do? When we're in Cape May and we walk to dinner, my wife will often say, let's, let's walk on this other side. I go, why do you want to walk on the other side? Because it's shaded. Why do you want to walk in the sun? It's hot. It's five degrees cooler over here. Let's walk in the shade. And all of a sudden it dawned on me. It's not always about us. But through the trials and the hardships of life, when the heat comes and you're firmly rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ, receiving nutrients from his word, you are like a tree that gives off shade. And do you know how many people there are in this world who are seeking relief from the heat? who are seeking comfort from life. And oh, isn't it great when people are drawn to your life because of the prosperity of green leaves providing shade in their difficulty. It has no worries in the year of drought. Hey, 2020 may be a year of drought, but what's the promise? If you're rooted in me, if, you re, if you're getting your nutrients from God's word, you will never fail to bear fruit. What's fruit? Fruit is refreshing. Fruit is nourishment. I want you to know that there are times in people's lives where they go through drought conditions. And as they see our walk in Jesus Christ, they're drawn to the fruit that we can offer to them. It's not always about us, but what God's doing in us for others. The promise is that if you're rooted in him, the promise is that what? Through the difficulties, you will still prosper. That's the promise. So it doesn't matter what it holds. It's just a matter that you got to fulfill the condition of the promise. Now, what does it mean to be biblically rooted. What does it mean to be biblically rooted? I want to look at two passages of scripture. One comes from uh, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 17 where Paul prays this prayer for the church at Ephesus so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and I pray that you being rooted and established in love what does it mean to be biblically rooted? Paul says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have the power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ and to know that that love surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. This word rooted in the Greek is, is used metaphorically in the passive language, and the passive language is something that you need to do for yourself. 
This is optional. You can choose to do it or you can choose not to do it. But if you choose to do it, if you choose to be rooted, to be planted firmly, there's one thing I know about roots. Roots that go down deep into the ground. Roots are not affected when the nor'easters and the hurricanes and the tornadoes come. The branches might be affected. The, uh, come on, what am I thinking of? The, the trunk may sway, but the roots remain unaffected through the storms of life. But now you're saying, but pastor, I have seen trees that have been uprooted by storms. Those roots were affected. Usually those roots are diseased, shallowed, or they have been isolated from other roots where they get tangled in and support one another. Oh, how we need the support of one another. How we need to build one another. How we need to let our roots go deep and connect to one another so that when the storms and the tornadoes come, the branches and, 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 the, and the trunk may, may sway, but our roots will remain unaffected. That word root means to be firm. Established or grounded in some translations means the foundation. The roots are are what we build the foundation upon. What are we rooted in? What do we build the foundation on? We build and are rooted in the love of God. Have you ever really contemplated God's love in your life? His agape, his unconditional love that loves you no matter what. In spite of, God says, I love you with an everlasting love. And there's nothing you can do that will keep me from stop loving you. And when you realize that his love is unconditional and he loves you with an unconditional love and you experience that love, you experience a love as Romans chapter 8 says, what can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, shall hardship, shall persecution, shall nakedness, shall sword, shall famine, nothing shall be able to separate us no matter what 2020 blows in. If you are grounded and established in the love of God, there's nothing that can take place this coming year that can separate you from his great love. That's what it means to be grounded and established. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says this, so then, just as you have received Christ, do you see the prerequisite, the prerequisite of being rooted? You have to know Jesus. The prerequisite, prerequisite of being rooted is knowing Jesus. And when you know Jesus, you continue to live in him, rooted and now what? Built up, rooted in the love that become the foundation. Now you begin to build upon his love and build up in him strengthened, strengthened. Do you know how we're strengthened? We're strengthened by the heat. 
We're strengthened by the trials. We're strengthened by the difficulties of life. How do we know God's love? We reflect upon 2019, and as challenging as it was, I saw God's faithfulness to carry me through some difficulties in life. And that's where we are strengthened. In the faith as you were taught, and never forget to be thankful in all things. Now, I want to be very, very practical. Blessed is the man who trusts. Isn't it great? Trust and obey, for there's no other way. Only trust him, only trust him. Boy, we talk about trust, we sing about trust. But let me be honest. Aren't there times in your life where the difficulties come and you know about trust, but it's hard to trust? Because of the me, myself, and I generation. We live in a me, myself, I generation where to trust means to surrender. And be honest, in a me, myself, and I generation, who wants to be in control? Me, myself, and I. But to trust, you have to surrender. You have to give up control. You have to totally place your trust in the Lord. And there are times that I struggle. And I'm sure if all of you were honest, there are times and situations in life where you struggle to totally trust. Now, I don't normally do this, but if you have a paper and pencil, you may want to get it out. If you have your smartphones, you may want to turn it on notes, or you may want to get your camera ready, because I am going to give you four of my life value principles that help me to trust God in difficult situations. These are principles that I have applied, that I have learned to apply, that when I find myself not trusting, I go back to these four items. Number one, I always have to remind myself that he's conscious. What does it mean to be conscious? To be conscious means to have knowledge of something. To be conscious is you have knowledge of something. It means that he is aware. Well, how do you know God's aware? There's a Bible verse that has bugged me for years. It, it's Jesus stating on the Sermon on the Mount, chapter, Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. I used to stay up at night saying, God, why do I need to ask if you know what I'm going to ask? If you know what I need before I even ask, why do I need to ask? And through a series event, God basically dropped this to me one day. Listen, I don't want you to be a spoiled brat. Whoa. And I want you to recognize your dependency on me. 
by asking me, you recognize your dependency upon me. But I missed the whole point of this, mess, of this verse. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you even ask. What is this verse really saying? This verse is saying we have an omniscient God. We have an all-knowing God. We have someone who knows what's taking place in our lives before we even know it's taking place. We have a God who is aware. Not only to be conscious is to have knowledge of something, but post 9-11, let's be honest, most of us are more conscious of our surroundings around us today, aren't we? The day after Christmas, um, Heather dropped me off at the A&P in, in, in Freehold. I had to run in and get some stamps, and then we had some thank you notes, and I told her, I said, drop me off at ShopRite, then go down to the dollar store. There's a, there's a mailbox down. I'll walk past all those empty stores, and I'll drop the mail, and you, you can pick me up there, and we'll go get our uh, Wendy's. So as I get out of ShopRite, I'm starting to walk past all those empty stores, and there's a lady in front of me walking. You ever have one of those awkward moments? Where you're walking, and all of a sudden, you notice as you're walking, she's walking faster. Because she's conscious of her surroundings. And I see her checking the reflection in the empty store mirrors to see who is behind her. And, and it was just, I felt like saying, listen lady, I'm not out to get you. I'm only going to the mailbox to put these mail in the mail. But I thought that would be weird. Even weirder yet. So as I'm walking, she's walking, and I'm walking, and then I try to walk slower, and then she's walking. It was just awkward. Finally, I get to the mailbox, and I put the mail in, and I slam it to let her know what I was doing. I get in the car, and my wife goes, boy, that lady was a little anxious, wasn't she? I go, I guess if an unknown man was following you, you'd be anxious too. But what does that have to say? God is conscious. Not only does he know what's going on, he's aware of our surroundings. Now, that's important as we trust. My wife and I have been doing a, a devotional book uh, at night. We re, re, uh, she actually, she reads to me before we go to bed at night. And my sister gave her the Jesus calling. I don't know if anybody, but it's, a, it's a new devotional out. It's written in the third person like God is speaking to you. And on January 1st, as I was preparing for this message that morning, uh, at night, Heather read these words to me. As you focus your thoughts on me, be aware that I am fully attentive to you. I see you with a steady eye because my attention span is infinite. I know and understand you completely. He's conscious. And because he is conscious and he knows of our needs before we even ask, I also know not only does he have knowledge, but he is interested. He's concerned. 
How do I know he's concerned? Because he tells us to cast all our worries, all our anxiety, all our cares upon him before he cares for you. So as I'm going through a difficult time and I'm having a hard time trusting, I remind myself, God, you know my need before I even ask because you are conscious. You are aware and you know what's taking place in my life. And not only are you know and not only are you aware, but you genuinely care and are concerned for me so much that you have asked me to take whatever is bothering me, whatever I'm anxious, whatever I'm worried about, and you told me that I am to give them to you. Wow. So much he cares. And that comes from being rooted in his deep love for all of us. So I remind myself, you're conscious and you're concerned. You care. But he's also consistent. I love word studies. And I, I just looked up consistent. What does consistent mean? And I found out that our English word consistent is derived from a 16th century Latin word, constatera, which means to be firm and still. Firm and still. I had a different concept of what means to be consistent, but one of the meanings comes from the 16th century Latin word to, to be still, established. And then it dawned on me, there are times when I have knowledge of something that's taking place in someone else's life, and because I care about them, do you know what I do? Come on, you know what I'm saying, especially in the lives of your children. When you know something's going on and you care about them and you want to do something, but there's nothing you can do, what do you do? And all of a sudden, I got this picture of my father in heaven who knows what's taking place and who's concerned about me, but he doesn't pace. He just stands still, firm. He's not panicking. He's not worried. He's not pacing. Because nothing takes him by surprise. And in my times, when I find it hard to trust, I'm constantly reminding myself that he's conscious, he's concerned, he's consistent. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God who has called you into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. What does it mean to be faithful? I, now, this is my understanding of what I thought consistent is. Consistent is you do the same thing over and over and over. God keeps doing the same thing over and over and over. There are people who disappoint us. I'm sure there are times when we disappoint God. But even though we are unfaithful to God, God is never unfaithful to us. 
And there are times when I think I have gotten myself in this circumstance. And yes, may I, I might have made a, a, a bad decision or a wrong move that got me into this trouble. But even though I've been unfaithful, God is still faithful. Just trust him. Why? Because he knows what's going on. He cares. And he's faithful. And not only does he know, he cares, and he's faithful. But my last is I always say this. God, you are capable. He's all-powerful. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than what we ask or can imagine. But man, this verse can keep me up at night. No matter what I ask or can even dream, God can do even greater. But this is where we have to watch that our preference doesn't become God's uh, promise. He's capable at any moment he can remove you from the situation. But there are times he gives you strength to go through the situation. We always want out of the situation. God says, I'm going to give you strength to go through. Paul prayed three times for the thorn to be removed, but God says, my grace is sufficient. And trusting God. God, I know you're capable that you could miraculously fix this situation in a minute. But I also know that you're more concerned about my character than my comfort. Now, what do we want to be concerned with? We want comfort over character, don't we? But what is God constantly doing in our lives? Conforming us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And there are some times, 2020 might bring a situation in your life where you want deliverance from, but God is capable to see you through it and change your character and make you more like Jesus Christ. Listen, I'm, I'm going to close. I need to close. I need to land this plane. <laughs> and I'm not big much into poetry, but there is a, poem that I read many years ago that I often refer to by A.B. Simpson. If you don't know A.B. Simpson, you know what A.B. stands for? Albert Benjamin Simpson. He's the founder of CMA, the Christian Missionary Alliance Church, born in Canada in the mid-1800s and had a profound conviction. A.B. Simpson said that before Jesus Christ comes back, he says the world needs to be preached to all nations. He wanted to be a missionary to China, but because of family opposition, he established in New York a training center for missionaries. That's known today as, anybody know? Nyack College. Pastor Bonnie, you can come. Once, my hands were always trying, trying hard to do their best. Now my heart is sweetly trusting and my soul is all at rest. Once my brain was always planning and my heart with cares oppressed. Now I trust the Lord to lead me and my life is all at rest. 
Once my life was full of effort, now it is full of joy and zeal. Since I took his yoke upon me, Jesus gives me his rest. Lord, what I need most for 2020 is just your rest. And Jesus says, I want you to take your yoke upon me. Can you picture your head and the head of Jesus right there partnering with you in 2020? That as you trust in him and have confidence in him, you'll be like a tree that sends its roots down deep and nourishes itself on God's word. And you won't be afraid if the heat or when the heat comes because your leaves will always be green. And you will not worry if famine or drought should come because you'll always be bearing fruit. As I was picturing that tree by the water, with leaves and fruit. I said, Lord, that's, that's rest. That's what I want. And Jesus says, put your trust in me. Know that I'm conscious. Know that I care. Know that I'm consistent. And know that I'm capable. Would you stand with me? I know the hour is late. And if you're teaching Sunday school, you need to get children to Sunday school. But I, I just sensed that there are people who are longing for rest, who need to put their trust and confidence in the Lord and allow the roots to go down deep and build upon the love that God has for you. 